0: For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I'd like to start this week, after a shout-out to our friends in Ireland, by reminding you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to our email newsletter as well as our videos, not least so we can keep you updated if we get deplatformed. In that newsletter this week, our top subject, obviously, was floods in Europe, the current definitive proof of a man-made global warming crisis. The New York Times clanged that European floods are the latest sign of a global warming crisis and NBC News wailed, quote, amid flooded roads, collapsed homes, and death, Europe reckons with signs of climate change, end quote. But then it emerged that local and even national authorities in Germany had ignored warnings that would have saved most of the lives lost if they'd simply evacuated citizens the way Belgium and the Netherlands did. Luckily for Chancellor Angela Merkel, the media's predictable obsession with climate change helped to divert attention and blame away from the inexcusable failure of her government's emergency alert system. For instance, the Times made several efforts to exonerate her and her colleagues, including a story saying, quote, no one is safe, extreme weather batters the wealthy world, floods swept Germany, fires ravaged the American West, and another heat wave loomed, driving home the reality that the world's richest nations remain unprepared for the intensifying consequences of climate change, end quote. But this statement is untrue in many ways, including that G7 nations like Germany are unprepared to move people out of the way of surging waters. At least technically, they are quite capable of doing it. But clearly, the government bungled disastrously, partly because of its fixation with preventing weather from happening, instead of coping when it does. Right down to things like paving floodplains, such as the one around Altenau, and then being surprised at runoff from heavy rain. Which brings us to the deeper untruth in the Times' coverage, and reporting on the floods more generally. Yahoo News did the usual can't-attribute-but-must-anyway two-step. quote, The extreme rainfall causing deadly flooding across western Germany and Belgium has been so alarming many across Europe are asking if climate change is to blame. Scientists have long said that climate change will lead to heavier downpours, but determining its role in last week's relentless downpours will take at least several weeks to research, scientists said on Friday. End quote. And then Yahoo News instead waited several seconds before saying, quote, in general, the rising average global temperature, now about 1.2 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial average, makes heavy rainfall more likely, according to scientists, end quote. But are floods getting more intense? The Times said so, but it bungled its history with a mighty blast. Quote, floods like these, which have left more than 100 dead, had not been seen in perhaps a thousand years, end quote. Rubbish! The Grota Mandrenke, or St. Marcellus flood, in January 1362 killed at least 25,000 people in a continent whose population wasn't a tenth of what it is today. Do these journalists not have search engines? Do they not know how to use them? Or, more likely, do they not know what to search for? If they did, they might get as far into the exotic academic weeds as Wikipedia, which declares of the Mandrenka that, quote, this storm tide, along with others of like size in the 13th century and 14th century, played a part in the formation of the Zuiderzee and was characteristic of the unsettled and changeable weather in Northern Europe at the beginning of the Little Ice Age." What? Cooling brings extreme weather? Why weren't we told? And why weren't we told that an earlier, first St. Marcellus flood had killed even more people in 1219? Answer: Because investigative reporters did not investigate the report, editors did not edit, and fact-checkers did not check facts such as that Germany, along with Denmark, had between eight and 15,000 people killed in the Burcardi Flood of 1634, which was not a thousand years ago, or that Germany lost 315 in the North Sea flood tide of 1962, not even a century ago, or that St. Lucia's Flood killed between 50 and 80,000 people in the Holy Roman Empire in 1287, also not a thousand years ago. Reuters may not see the irony in its headline, As Floods Hit Western Europe, Scientists Say Climate Change Hikes Heavy Rain, but it was a classic case of the vultures swooping on whatever catastrophe just happened to say that while they did not tell us so, they easily could have. Just as if chunks of ice were to rain down from a clear blue sky in Marauka tomorrow, we would hear As Ice Chunks Hit Southern New Guinea, Scientists Say Climate Change Hikes Heavy Hail. Whereas. In the case of these floods, weather Bureau said, heavy rain's coming, better get ready, and too many politicians were too busy saving us from climate change to pay attention. Indeed. A New York Times breaking news alert says, Europe released an ambitious blueprint to reduce emissions 55% by 2030, putting it at the forefront of the world's average to decarbonize, end quote. Uh, meaning not that they're actually doing things that are outperforming others when it comes to GHG reductions. Rather, it means, having made many empty promises, they made an even more dramatic set whose transformational change will supposedly reduce emissions by 55% by 2030 and, quote, create new opportunities for innovation and investment and jobs address energy poverty, reduce external energy dependency, improve our health and well-being, end quote, and in case that didn't dazzle you, quote, ensure there are opportunities for everyone, supporting vulnerable citizens by tackling inequality and energy poverty, and strengthening the competitiveness of European companies, end quote. Gosh, it's that easy? Sure, if you mistake words for deeds, as the Canadian government also does in this area, as in many others. And This business of substituting verbiage for things is widespread on climate and it might appear to be an advantage in a public policy debate to tear oneself free of facts. The trouble is, other people notice the facts and start thinking you're up to something. For instance, with this chart of maximum daily temperatures in Canada's capital over more than a century showing that the trend is... What's this? Downward? Yes, no matter how often they tell us heat waves are surging toward us higher, harder, and closer together than ever before, hurricanes and wildfires are ravaging landscapes in unprecedented ways, and the seas are rising in wrath, evidence eventually plods in going, hang on, they're not. In the case of this chart, thanks to Robert Muir, a tireless critic of sensationalist climate reporting that assumes facts it should have checked. And in it, he demonstrates that the temperature pattern is quite complex. Including that in Ottawa it appears that winter temperatures are increasing but summer maximums are not, which suggests a decrease, not an increase, in weather instability, and also an urban heat island distortion of the record in, as Mir also shows, Toronto and Calgary. Now, if alarmists were really interested in climate science, they'd swoop on suggestions that the data was corrupted and try to fix it. And if they don't, somebody else will. As Judith Curry recently suggested in a Five minute piece summarizing the supposed climate crisis, quote, In a nutshell, we've vastly oversimplified both the problem and its solutions. The complexity, uncertainty, and ambiguity of the existing knowledge about climate change is being kept away from the policy and public debate. The solutions that have been proposed are technologically and politically infeasible on a global scale, end quote. And when people find out about this kind of thing, they feel cheated, which does not help the alarmists to win friends or influence people. In context of which, we would also touch on a suggestion that comes from out of left field that, quote, scientists say if just 1.2% of the Sahara Desert is covered by solar panels, we could have produced enough energy to power the entire world, end quote. But the Sahara is huge, about 9.2 million square kilometers, 6% of the total land surface of the Earth. And oddly, only the Arctic and Antarctic deserts are bigger. So that disarming just flies over 110,000 square kilometers of solar panels, filling 0.07% of all our standing room on the planet. Just that, with all the raw material to build the panels and their mounts and the grid to bring all that power from Chad to the Czech Republic, Chile, and China, and then a huge waste disposal problem. But as long as the advocates of alternative energy blithely ignore or bury such practical questions they're going to look very silly when they get unearthed in the construction phase and imagine if someone said oh we could solve all our energy problems by covering just 1.2 percent of the sahara and natural gas plants or nuclear plants and here's another inconvenient fact a new paper warns of mass extinctions due to climate change But, as Eric Worrell responds, the current distribution of species on the Earth is typical of cold climates, not warm ones. See, among its other drawbacks, talk of apocalyptic warning obscures that we're in an ice age. You might call it pedantic, but an ice age is characterized by significant polar ice. And it's not pedantic, because when we're discussing what normal weather consists of, and what nature would be up to absent humans blundering about littering the landscapes, seas and lakes, and even the air, it's kind of important to have some grasp of the history of our planet, including that species are currently huddling for warmth where they can find it, and should the Ice Age end, they'd happily expand into the more favorable conditions that would result. The newsletter also has another installment of Guelph economist and climate expert Ross McKittrick's commentary on Stephen Koonin's book Unsettled, What Climate Science Tells Us, What It Doesn't, and Why It Matters. And the author's a physicist and former Obama administration official, And in this installment, McKittrick discusses his take on the fact that there are about 40 major computer climate models in the world, and they vary quite a bit, unlike the basic models in something like physics. And though we're told the science is settled and scientists say whatever just surprised them was a predictable result of climate change, the truth is that these models don't just disagree about future warming. They disagree about current average temperature by about three degrees Celsius, which is three times the observed 20th century warming they purport to be able to explain. Now Koonin has been studying climate models professionally for nearly three decades, and he doesn't like what he sees, including so many places where programmers just substitute guesses for accurate models of actual physical processes based on guesses about missing or unreliable data. And even after all this kludging, they can't even predict the past. Now, if you're thinking if this were really true, scientists would surely know about it. Koonin says they do know, and in private, they discuss these problems. But politicized science organizations try to prevent anyone from alerting the public, and gullible journalists help out. So no wonder Koonin's not popular, with them at least, but you should read his book. And finally, we also present two studies from CO2science.org on food security. One of them looked at a range of CO2 concentrations, from pre-industrial to glacial to possible futures, and the major crops wheat, maize, rice, and soybean, and found that efforts to produce enough food for the rising population of the Earth would be compromised, at least in their computer model, and we always look at those with some skepticism. But it would be compromised if we went back to glacial levels and harmed considerably even if we got back to 18th century levels. The other study considered the impact of changing agricultural practices, for instance, diverting even more corn to ethanol, reducing meat production, and using less fertilizer, and indeed, almost any rational response to raising carbon taxes that don't exempt farming, and found rising food prices harming the poor, in particular, as usual. Now, as we've said before, if the crisis is as bad as they say, we may have to pay such prices. But we don't have to play fast and loose with the facts. It doesn't help us make good policy and it messes up your credibility. So for the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson and we're interested in what's really happening. So subscribe to the newsletter so we can keep you up to date on it.